Okay, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to jump in. Tonight is a, uh, a pretty cool night, honestly. We are finishing up our series in the book of Galatians. Uh, if you're just joining us for the first time or maybe the first couple times, uh, you get to come like right before the credits are going to roll in the movie. Okay, but the cool thing is, is that the way Paul writes this letter is he sums up kind of everything, okay? Tonight, not that, not that uh, the, the prior weeks that we've gone through teaching the scriptures don't matter. They really do. There's depth. If you want to listen back on the messages, you can on the website. But, but tonight's special because Paul's going to go, hey, everything that I just, I just spent six chapters writing this letter to Christians, the, 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 all my previous writings, if you're, if you're only gonna take one thing, or if you're only gonna take away one thing, take this, like listen to me say this. So tonight's gonna be pretty special, okay? Tonight, needless to say, is important. So what I'm gonna do, go ahead, flip over to Galatians chapter six, and before we jump into the scriptures, I'm gonna pray for us, okay? Will you join me? Um, Holy Spirit, thank you that you're with us now. Um, and thank you that we don't have to, in this moment, posture our hearts. Um, I try to clean ourselves up and make, our, make ourselves worthy. Um, that's impossible. I thank you that your grace covers us and that you delight in pursuing um, each of us. I thank you that every single person in this room matters to you. Like personally, it's not, a, it's not like a big blanket thing. Like you know us by name. The scriptures say you know how many hairs are on our head. Like you know us better than we know ourselves, better than others know us. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that this evening you really would speak to us. You really would encourage us. You'd challenge us. You'd convict us. And ultimately you would free us from living a me-centered life and ultimately to, be able to, be, to being able to be freed up to enjoy you in every area of our life, to obey you in every area of life and operate like you, Jesus. We want to follow you. So help me to honor my friends. Help me not to say anything stupid or anything that you don't want said. I love you, Jesus. Be with us tonight, God. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Okay, so Galatians chapter 6. six. We're going to start in verse 11. Tiff, I'm going to hand that to you. Will you sit down on the table? Or the chair, thanks. Okay, Galatians 6, starting in verse 11. Remember, this is the closing remarks of his letter to the church, the Christians in the area of Galatia, modern-day Turkey. He says this, verse 11, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Okay, really quickly, pause. Uh, biblical scholars are almost certain that Paul didn't actually, he didn't actually pen the book of the letter to the Galatians, the book of the Galatians that we're going through. They, they believe that he had a scribe, someone who would sit down and he would dictate. So Paul would be like, like, let's say that Jack was writing a letter and he'd be like, okay, I'm gonna write this letter. Tom, I want you to write it down. I'm gonna dictate it. And he goes, okay, say this. This is from Jack to my friends, my brothers, my sisters in Northern California. Like, and I'm sitting there writing down every word as he dictates it. That's what's happening here. Paul is dictating this letter and he's having someone write it down, Okay. And in these final words, it looks as though Paul like grabs the pen himself and he doesn't just like write it out now. Like not, he doesn't just go, okay, I'm gonna write this part. But it actually says that he, that he, that he, he writes it in big letters. He goes, check out, I, I, now I'm writing this and look at what big letters I'm writing with here. Have you ever gotten an email where like someone, 
like puts the cap lock on and then just writes the whole thing and it's the all caps lock and they're like, are you yelling at me like via, via like text? Like what's happening here? <clears throat> Ultimately, what he's doing is like almost like an ancient version of the all caps lock thing. Like he wants to make a point. He's, he's saying like, listen up, this is important. <clears throat> if you only hear one thing from this letter, I want you to hear this. What does he say next? Verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ just means Savior. It's like a title. It's not Jesus' last name. It's Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the promised one. It says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision but what does count here, as he says, is a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. And upon the Israel of God, Israel of God just means God's chosen people, okay? Verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul's referring to literal scars on his body, okay? This dude got beat up, he got messed up physically, violently all the time. Multiple instances in the scriptures because he was following Jesus, because he was proclaiming the gospel, okay? Because he was saying that whether you're circumcised or not doesn't matter, it's the motivation of your heart. He's saying it's like, he's making it clear that it's not your performance that reconciles you back to God. It's his love and his grace and his mercy that does so through the cross, Okay, verse 18, the grace, that's that, again, he's hitting grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers, amen. Okay, there's a ton, honestly, here, but tonight I'm gonna focus in on two things. So if you're taking notes, write these down. The first is this, we're gonna talk about the truth about boasting. The truth about boasting. And the second thing is the offensive beauty of the cross. Okay, so the truth about boasting and the offensive beauty of the cross. Let's talk about boasting. What is it? <clears throat> what does it mean to boast, okay? To boast is to speak with like excessive pride, okay? It's to speak of what you're proud of. And here's the thing about pride is I think it's probably the most dangerous sin because nobody thinks they're prideful, in of which that in and of itself is pride. Like I don't really think I'm prideful, that's pride. Okay, so it's kind of this hidden thing. It's, it's to speak of what you are proud of. That's what it means to boast. So let me ask you a question. What do you boast in? Think about it. Take some time to search your heart. What do you boast in? What do you take pride in? Maybe you take pride in your stuff, like what you possess, your house, your cars, your clothes, whatever it is, just stuff that you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of this stuff. Maybe it's your stuff, maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's the school that you went to. Maybe it's your career, maybe it's your looks. What do you find yourself boasting in? I think some of us in the room probably boast in not boasting. So either way, 
all of us, every single person in this room, every single person in this city, every single person on this planet boasts in something, okay? No matter who you are, you boast in something. Now back here in verse 13 and verse 14, the apostle Paul, he contrasts what these false teachers in Galatia were boasting in with what he himself boasts in. Okay, he says the false teachers, they boast in acts of the flesh. Okay, in other words, what he's saying is that they boasted in what they did. Like they, they boasted in their accomplishments. They boasted in, in, their, in their leadership. They boasted in their performance. Okay, and in this specific case with the Christians in Galatia, these false teachers, they were boasting in getting these other Galatian Christians to follow their lead. You see, you see what I'm saying here? They're, they're boasting in what they do. They're boasting in their leadership and their performance. What about you? You ever boast in your accomplishments? Your performance? Or am I the only person in the room that does that? Now typically I think that most people, what we do is we boast in what gives us a sense of self-worth. So here's the cool thing about that. Next time you hear somebody boasting, um, you'll actually be able to know where they find their self-worth. The moment you recognize, oh, I think this person's like, they're, they're, they're boasting about something. They're, they're, they're proud of something. This is like a diagnosis. It's, whenever you hear somebody do that, it's like that's where that person finds self-worth. You'll be, be able to diagnose where that person looks to or what that person looks to for validation, for self-worth because that's what we do. We typically boast in what gives us a sense of self-worth. And here's the thing. We do this because boasting is directly associated with what our hope is in. Now, I'm convinced that most people who follow Jesus, most people who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm a Christian, I think the vast majority of them would say that our hope is in Jesus. Okay, we use our, our words to say that our hope is in Jesus. But here's the thing, like take a look at what you boast in. Not just what you say your hope is in, but the things that you proclaim to the world around you that you're proud of. Because here's the truth, write this down, okay? The truth is that what we boast in reveals what our hope is in. So you can say one thing, but when you actually assess the situation, what you find yourself boasting in that's what your hope is really in. Are you tracking with me? Give me an amen if it's a yes. Okay, great. <clears throat> and here's the thing. Boasting isn't just limited to the words that come out of your mouth. It's not just what you say. It's what you project. It's what you communicate to the world around you. It's what you broadcast. That's not just limited to words, especially in our like, technically advanced, advanced society. So here's the thing, if you're having trouble, like I had a hard time, I was like, okay, what do I boast in? Like I know I do this, like help me understand this, Lord. But one of the things that I was praying through as I was prepping this message is, if you're having trouble finding out, figuring out what you boast in, look back at what you post on social media. Chances are your posts will be like mine and they'll show what you boast in, what what you broadcast, what you project that you're proud of. So much so that you take the time to go, I'll doctor this up, I'll make it look all good, I'll write the perfect caption, check it out, world. 
So yeah, it might not be the words that come out of our mouths, but it is boasting. It is us saying, check this out. Look what I'm proud of. Not necessarily a bad thing, but definitely can be. Chances are your posts will show you what you boast in. And here's the thing. It got me praying just about social media in, in general. And I'm on, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm kind of on Twitter. Um, although Facebook, I feel like it's moving at such a rapid pace, I can't really figure it out anymore, so maybe you guys can help me. Um, so I'm not anti-social media. Don't, don't hear me say that. I think it's a wonderful thing. It can help people stay connected. But it's dangerous, man. Social media is dangerous because it can be this cesspool of boasting. And don't believe the lie. Like, that actually has an effect on us as people. <clears throat> It really does. I mean, if you ever want to feel insecure, check out all the things that other people are boasting in on Instagram and Facebook. Because what inevitably starts to happen is you start to compare yourself. You see all the posts, and then you start to make the comparisons. The comparison, and here's the thing: you either feel fantastic about yourself, or you feel terrible about yourself. You either feel fantastic because you're like, I actually have a better body or I actually have better kids. Like, my kids are good, those kids on social media, nah. I actually am the one that in the comparison game has the better spouse, or the better job, or more talent, or the better life, or whatever, right? Or, on the flip side, you'll be on the side of the comparison game where you feel totally insecure, totally depressed, discontent because you're the one that doesn't have the better body or your kids won't even smile for a picture let alone look cute or maybe your marriage is kind of going through a rough patch or you're single and you're like great, awesome, another reminder thank you very much, appreciate that or maybe you don't like your job Maybe you hate your job. Or maybe you can't sing that good or you can't dance like that. Or maybe you can't be near as creative or near as cool. And you're the one on the losing end of that comparison game. Friends, I'm not anti-social media, but it's dangerous. I'm not saying don't use it. I'm, I'm simply just saying as someone who loves you and wants to be loved by you, And I don't mean like make me feel good. I mean like help protect me from believing the lies of the enemy that what defines me is how I compare to other people. Oh, that's that's a lie from the enemy. Your identity, who you are, your self-worth has nothing to do with what you look like, how much money you make, your resume, what's on your business card. That's a lie. So I tell you this in love because I don't want something that can be good to be used to harm and to tempt us to believe lies about God, lies about each other, and lies about ourselves. You tracking with me? Okay. So another way to find out what you boast in is how do you defend yourself? Like if, if you fail at something or you let somebody down or, or if somebody attacks you, you know, like if you're married and you get in a fight or you have a friend and they tick you off or whatever, and you, you have this kind of like bout, you have this, this fight, you have this conflict, how do you find yourself defending yourself? 
Like maybe it's like, hey, no, no, it's your fault. Maybe if you just wouldn't have been so dumb, I wouldn't have made you upset or whatever it looks like. Like, what does it look like for you? How do you find yourself defending yourself? Even if it's like a false accusation. The way that you, like whatever it is that you're defending yourself or however you're defending yourself, that's what you boast in. That's what your hope is in. That's what you're using to validate yourself for better or for worse. In verse 14, the Apostle Paul, he tells us what his Instagram feed would have looked like. He tells us what he boasts in. Look back at it, verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says that the only thing he boasts in is the cross. That's it. Now, can we just take a moment? I'm gonna take a drink of water. Can we just take a moment and acknowledge the cross is disgusting? I mean, seriously, it's gross. It's a symbol of the most brutal torture, most brutal death imaginable. I mean, think about it, right? You have... Uh, most of us are pretty familiar with crucifixion, okay? Uh, you get these, these big nails, okay? Nail them into your hands, both hands, into a piece of wood, and your feet, a big nail through both feet. Like that in and of itself is, let's be honest, that's pretty gnarly and pretty gross, okay? <clears throat> so you have nails in your hands, nails in your feet, and meanwhile, to be able to get someone on there, they're laying down, Right? and then they prop that thing up, they prop that bad boy up, you got the cross there, now you're hanging, okay, only by the nails, for everybody to see. You're shamed. Oh yeah, and you're naked. To make matters worse, you're totally exposed. All the shame. Now, you'd think that the cause of death from crucifixion would be like loss of blood, right? I mean, you have hammers, nails hammered into your hands, nails hammered into your feet. But it's crazy. The, the cause of death from crucifixion was, was usually asphyxiation. So usually like suffocating, like, like lack of oxygen. <clears throat> and the reason it was because it was so hard to breathe under those circumstances, right? So you'd, 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 ha- you'd be hanging there and you would, it'd be so hard for you to breathe, and then what you'd have to do is you'd have to push yourself up, like on the nail that's in your hand. Pull, push on the nails in your feet, and pull on the nails in your hand to be able to breathe, and then, I mean, imagine the pain, right? It's already excruciating, and just to be able to breathe, it's gonna be an intense amount of pain, and then you just, oh God, I'm exhausted, and back down, and now I can't breathe again. So it's this, it's this process of back and forth, just being able to breathe. But what's gnarlier too is it wasn't like a quick asphyxiation. It wasn't like, you know, if you have a noose and, you, and someone gets like lynched, they get, they get like hanged. That's like 60 seconds and, and they're done. Like it wasn't, it wasn't quick. It was, it was long and drawn out. It's crazy. They say that, that most of the time that, that whoever was, was crucified, um, they'd actually, they'd be up there hanging on a cross for several days before they actually passed before they died. I mean, imagine, it's, it's gross. It's disgusting. And Paul says that this brutal, disgusting form of execution is the only thing he boasts in. 
So let's talk about it. Let's talk about the offensive beauty of the cross. Now, the cross isn't just offensive because it's brutal and it's gross and it's disgusting. The cross offends people. Again, not just because it's a gnarly form of execution, but it offends people, people for two kind of primary reasons. The first is this. It's offensive because it's exclusive. Now, the message that the Apostle Paul was teaching, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God saving and redeeming humanity through Jesus Christ, this beautiful message that Paul is is proclaiming with all of his life, it says that the only way to be saved from the wrath of God for sinning against him, which we're all guilty of, the only way to be saved from that was through the death of Jesus on the cross. Okay, he says, the only way to be saved was for Jesus to be punished in your place. That's the it. That's the option A, and that's, that's all you have. That's it. And if you trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross, then you're completely accepted by God. But it's an offensive message because Paul says there's only one way, Jesus on the cross. So what that means is, your best effort, my best effort, it's not good enough. Like the very best you could possibly do, you on your best day, it's like, no. It's a problem that you and I can't fix. Have you ever like, have you ever screwed up? Have you ever like, like, and what I mean by this is like, have you ever hurt somebody? Like you made a choice, it was unkind, it was unloving and it hurt somebody else and it was totally your fault and you knew it. Maybe you tried to defend it and tried to justify it but like you knew, crap, I screwed up here and I hurt somebody. Like if you're married, chances are the answer is yes. If, you're, if you have a heart inside your body that's beating right now, chances are it's probably yes. I can think of a handful of times when I've, I've hurt Ebony. Things that I've said, things that I've done, things that I haven't done And it's like that feeling, and tell me if you can resonate with this, it's that feeling like, oh crap, I hurt somebody I care about and I cannot fix it. Oh no, I'll try, I'll do the dishes, I'll take out the trash, I'll I'll get her flowers, I'll ride a car, whatever it is, but it's like, but in that moment, she's not being mean, she's just like, you really hurt me. Thank you for the flowers. But if you've been in that place where you're like, oh, I messed up and I hurt somebody and I can't fix the problem. There's only one thing in that moment. I've experienced it in my marriage. There's only one thing in that moment that can actually fix things, that can actually reconcile my relationship with my bride and that's when she extends forgiveness. That's it. I can't try hard enough to make her happy. I can't like fix the problem. The only thing that would reconcile is if she decides to extend grace and forgiveness to me. It's not something I deserve, but it's the only hope to reconcile that relationship. Listen, friends, the cross is offensive because it says that you cannot fix the problem of your sin. There's only one way to fix the problem, and that's God's grace. It's Jesus on the cross in your place. It's exclusive, one way. And here's the thing, that exclusivity, it has a tendency to really tick people off. Like especially, 
I don't, I don't know where each of you fall on the kind of political spectrum, but like especially liberal people, it, it drives them crazy, okay? Because it's so exclusive. It says the only way to be saved and reconciled to God is via the cross. Like trying won't work. Trying to be good, it's not gonna work. Like you're not capable of it. You're not capable of making it right. You're not capable of fixing the problem. It's too far gone. It's beyond you. The liberal mind says like, wait a second, who are you to tell me what I'm capable of? Who are you to say that I'm not capable of doing something? The liberal mind thinks of the cross as intolerant because it says it's exclusive. There's only one way. Then the next thing, it's offensive because it's inclusive, okay? Not just exclusive, but inclusive. It includes everybody because everybody needs it. This is the part that ticks off conservative-minded people. I love how God has a way of like making both ends of the spectrum angry. I love his personality like that. He gets to expose how both are like missing the point. And here's the thing, Paul's message, right? The gospel, the good news that God alone can reconcile us through grace alone was that you need the cross, I need the cross just as much as anybody else. It says you're just as lost as the worst sinner you know. That ticks off conservative-minded people. Check this out. In Romans chapter three, again, the apostle Paul wrote this. Okay, he says this, Romans three, verses nine through 12. He says this, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, basically Jews and non-Jews, we've charged that all are under sin. As it is written, he's gonna quote Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 here, he says this, as it's written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. What do you think he means by that? When he says all people have turned aside or no one does good, not even one, is he going, no one but these people? No, he's saying everybody's lumped into that. He's saying that, like, I'll pick on myself. He's saying I'm not one of the good guys no matter how much I look at Instagram and Facebook and compare myself to people to try to find people that I feel better about myself, he goes, no, 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 you're lumped in. You're just as bad as them. You need the cross just as much as them. Now, don't get me wrong. There are different consequences for different sins. But as far as what is in a court of law, in the cosmic court of law, I'm just as guilty and deserving the same wrath that anybody else is. Okay, I've never murdered anybody, but I have in my heart. I've had hate and bitterness in my heart towards people. And that severs me from a holy God. I'm just as guilty. I need the blood of Jesus. I need the cross just as much as anybody else. I remember, uh, I remember in college, do you guys remember, you know, if you, if, if you, if you, went to college, like, you show up for the first day of class, you sit down, and you're like, if you're anything like me, I'm like, okay, what kind of professor is this person gonna be? Are they gonna be a hard nose? Are they gonna be relaxed? Like, whatever. And what happens is they pass out the syllabus, 
Everybody gets a copy of the syllabus, and here's what I would do every single time. I would grab the syllabus, and I know that they're gonna take me through the whole thing, but I'd be flipping that page to see how they grade this course. Okay, are they gonna grade this bad boy on a curve? Because if they are, I'm pumped. In that moment, I'm looking around at all the people in my classroom, and I'm judging the mess out of them. I'm like, okay, that guy's a stoner. I definitely can do better than him. That guy's a football player. He's gonna be here half the time. I definitely can do better than him. Like I'm sizing up this class because I know that to pass this class, I just have to have a better, or I just have, I have to do better than a fraction of these people. And I'm good to go. The cross, it says that God doesn't grade on a curve. It's pass or fail. Paul says that you and I are in the same boat as the bad people, quote unquote. He, in fact, he would say that we're in the same boat as the baddest people. And like I said, this, this really ticks off conservative-minded people. What do you mean I'm as bad as the drug addict? Or the teen mom? or the convicted criminal, or the prostitute. What do you, what do you, how dare you try to lump me in with those people? Do you know that's exactly what the Pharisees were like in Jesus' day? The religious teachers, what did Jesus say? He said the prostitutes and the tax collectors will enter the kingdom of heaven before them. I don't know if you're familiar about what tax collectors really were. They're basically terrorists. Honestly. Jesus says the outlandish statement that terrorists and prostitutes will enter the kingdom of heaven before the Pharisees. Before the people that go, how dare you let me in with those people? I'm not like one of them. I go to church. Or I fill in the blank. My performance shows that I'm better than these people. Paul says the cross is offensive because it's inclusive. It includes all y'all. You all need it. The reason it offends both sides of that spectrum, the liberal and the conservative mind, is because it goes against any attempt at self-salvation. Any attempt. The cross says you cannot save yourself. Only God can save you. Oftentimes, um, I used to dread this, but now I actually get a kick out of it. Oftentimes when I meet new people, um, especially outside of the church, I mean, I'm talking about when I meet people outside of the church. So if I'm at, if I'm at the mall or I, uh, a friend of a friend introduces me to somebody, what's the first thing that somebody asks you when they meet you? What do you do? Okay, as if that defines us as people. <clears throat> but I get that question asked me just like you do. What do you do? And I used to be like, oh crap, I'm gonna tell them I'm a pastor, like, now I love it <clears throat> because it's an opportunity for me to talk to them about Jesus. No matter where they're at, they asked me, right? <clears throat> so usually what I'll say now is like, because I want to see if they fire back with a question, as I'll say, I'm a church planter. Church planter, what is that? Can you even start churches? Is that like legal? Like what's the deal? <clears throat> but here's the thing. What I'll do is I'll tell them, hey, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, I'm a church planter. Um, and usually what'll happen is they'll, they'll usually get really weird at that point. Like, they'll be like, oh, man, I'm sorry that I just cussed, or I'm sorry this. And I'm like, dude, like, stop. Like, I've, I cuss sometimes, okay? Like, they have, they have two assumptions. They have the assumption that you can't drink alcohol and you cannot have sex. 
<clears throat> and I'm like, that's really the reputation for Christians and pastors? I'm like, I'm guilty of all that. Like, I have two kids, they're beautiful, they're amazing. Like, I love beer. Like, so where are you getting your information? Usually they'll get all super weird. Or they'll say something like this. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm a pastor. Oh, cool, like, I go to church. And I'm like, that's great. Like, are you a Christian? And sometimes their response is something like this. Yeah, you know, I'm trying. And when they say that, like internally my heart kind of just like, oh, really? It, it just kind of, it bums me out a little bit and here's why. Because it basically means that they don't really understand Christianity. Because you can't be a Christian through trying. You're only a Christian through receiving. It's by grace alone. It's by God's grace all by itself. It's a free gift. That's why the gospel means good news. It's because I'm like dead in my sin. I deserve, I deserve the wrath of God. And God goes, yeah, you do. You do. But I'm gonna extend grace and forgiveness to you. It's incredible. So it's not me trying hard. It's not me cleaning myself up and trying to present myself as somehow more worthy than these other people. It's God's grace alone. It's grace all by itself. It's not grace plus anything else. This is Paul's main thrust, his whole point of this letter. We've been going through this for like 11 weeks. Grace alone, that's it. Paul grabs the pen. This is why I'm writing with such big letters, Galatians. He's summing up, he's summing up his whole point again at the end of this letter. Your trying can't save you. It's God's grace alone. Being a Christian means that it's like, what it means to be a Christian is to accept and receive God's free gift of grace. That's it. And not just in the beginning when you get saved. It's not like the front door. We've talked about this before. It's not just in the beginning that we, that we accept and receive God's grace. It's all throughout the journey of following him every day. Are you tracking with me? Paul says, if you take one thing away, take away grace alone. That's it. And not just on day one of a Christian, but on the last day. The day that you breathe your last. It's every day. I mean, think about like race cars, right? Like a race car needs fuel. Would you, wouldn't you say like you have to have gas in the car for it to be able to race, for it to be able to drive, for it to be able to go. They need it throughout the whole race though, Right? Race cars need gas, they need fuel throughout the whole race, not just the starting line. They don't just like, okay, I'm tapping into my gas tank, get things going, and then now I'm just gonna coast. No, for you to be able to drive that car, you need fuel, you need the gas. Christianity is the same way. Grace alone fuels your salvation from day one, from the starting point, all the way through the finish line. You're trying hard, it cannot pay the debt of your sin. It's by grace alone. And then this brings us to why the cross is so dang beautiful. Let's talk about the beauty. The cross is beautiful because of the gospel. Me and Colton were talking this week about landing on a definition of the gospel that we can hold on to. <clears throat> it's important, just so that we can have phrases that whenever we kind of drift or we have an anchor to hold on to. We have one for discipleship. To be a disciple of Jesus is someone who's learning to obey 
enjoy and operate like Jesus in every area of life. I want to enjoy him in every area. I want to obey him in every area. I want to operate like him in every single area of my life. That's what it means to be a disciple. You don't do it perfectly, you're learning. Someone who's learning to do those things. Simple, easy definition to grab a hold of. I want to give you guys an easy, simple definition of the gospel for you to hold on to every day of your life, okay? I'm stealing it from Tim Keller. You guys, we, I hear, you hear me quote him all the time. <clears throat> it's, just remember, had and glad. Okay, the gospel is that you're so wicked. You're so wicked that God had to die for you on the cross. Yet, at the very same time, you're so loved that, glad, that God was glad to die for you. So wicked he had to, but so loved that he was glad to. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And here's the thing about the gospel. You can't taste the sweetness of the cross unless you first taste the bitterness, the offensiveness, the things that cause the false teachers to go, uh-uh. Uh-uh. I'm gonna promote acts of the flesh. I wanna promote and boast in what I do as if it somehow has merit. Do you guys ever uh, taste or try those warhead candies? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, warheads are these terrible, terrible candies <laughs> that you have to like, they're so sour, okay? I hated them. I hated them because you, to be able to taste the sweetness of the warhead, you have to put up with how radically sour they are for like 30 seconds, Okay, the same is true of the cross. It's offensive. The cross says you're really bad. The cross says you're not one of the good guys. The cross says that you have a problem that you aren't capable of fixing. But at the exact same time, you are so loved to be able to taste that sweetness, you gotta get through the soury, offensive part of the cross. You're so loved that God would willingly die the most brutal death for you. Listen to me. This never gets old. You might have heard this a hundred times in your life. Your brain, when it hears it, can compute it and go, okay, factual information, yes or no. But when your heart internalizes this, when you see the cross is beautiful, listen to me. The cross is beautiful because it shows you how much you matter. Hear me say that. The cross is beautiful because it shows you how much you matter. It shows you how much you're worth. The cross shows you the depth and the intensity of God's love for you. Listen to me, no one in your life is capable of loving you with the same passion that Jesus does. Nobody. One of my favorite passages in scripture. The prophet Isaiah wrote this about 600 years ago. He's talking about the sweetness and the sourness of the cross. Isaiah 53 verse five, listen to this. But he, talking about Jesus, the promised savior, the Christ, the Messiah, but he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Iniquities is sins, the ways we reject and rebel against God. Upon him 
was the chastisement, that's punishment, that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Friends, Jesus got the cross so that we could have peace. It doesn't seem fair because it isn't. Friends, grace is not fair. But it's the most beautiful thing in the entire world. It has the power to transform anyone. When Paul talks about boasting in in the cross, he's saying, I'm really bad. Like if you know Paul's story, he murdered Christians. Like he's really jacked up. He's like, he's essentially like a modern day ISIS guy. Like he's totally far gone, okay? He's like, I'm really bad, but guess what? God loves me so much. Guys, I got, let, me, let me boast about something. Let me tell you about something. Do you wanna know how much God loves me? The cross. Like that's how much. My friend, do you wanna know how much God loves you? The cross. That's how much. All right, I'll call the band up. I'm gonna close with this. I'm gonna land the plane. I promise I'm getting close, okay? <clears throat> Paul also says something really important about what boasting in the cross actually leads to. So we could just kind of end it here and be like, crap, like I boast in stuff I shouldn't boast in. I'm proud of things I shouldn't be proud of. I'm putting my hope in things I shouldn't put my hope in. We don't need to just end it there. Like Paul gives us incredible wisdom here. He says there's certain things that when you boast in the cross, stuff actually starts to happen. The power of the gospel can transform your life in very practical ways. Look back at verse 14. He says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Check this out. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Okay, skip ahead to verse 16. And as for all who walk in this rule, those who boast in the cross, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Paul says that when you boast in the cross, you get peace. Cause and effect. You get peace because you die to the world and the world dies to you, okay? It means that the world has no power over you. When you boast in the cross, it means that it can't phase you. Are you tracking with me? It means that the circumstances of life no longer have power over you. Like they can't upset you or scare you or worry you. Paul says that if you're, if you're experiencing worry or fear or anxiety or depression or anger or you're discouraged or you're numb or you're shy or you're even bored, because you're boasting in something other than the cross. Saying you have a misplaced hope 
And because you've misplaced your hope, because you've put your hope in something other than the cross, other than the love of God on display for you, the result is anxiety and fear and depression and discouragement and discontentment. He says the reason you feel that way is that you're boasting in something that can actually never give you peace. It's like taking a, it's like taking a prescription that actually doesn't treat the disease that you have. Only the cross can give you true peace because no act in the history of the world is more loving than the cross. Nothing. Nothing can bring you more significance than you being worth God himself dying for. That's how significant you are. I mean, think about it. Like the greatest act of love of all time, okay, better than any like rom-com movie you've ever seen, like the coolest guy does something so spectacular that no other guy in real life could ever pull off. Like that's got nothing on Jesus. The greatest act in the history of everything has your name on it. That's crazy. It was for you. See, boasting in the cross, it has the power to bring you peace under any and all circumstances. Paul's got scars on his body because they beat him within an inch, of his, an inch of his life multiple times. And he still has peace because he boasts in the cross. He boasts in the love of, of God for him. So, what do you find yourself boasting in? I pray, every day I pray for this church plant. I pray for you. This church plant is not an organization. It's not an event. It's not a business. It's, it's these people. It's this, it's this family. I pray for you every day by name. I pray for your kids. I love you. And my prayer for this church plant is that we would be a people who boasts in the cross. We wouldn't be known for having like the coolest whatever that like the reputation around town wouldn't be like, oh, you gotta check out there. Rocky's got the most amazing voice and Mark's so gifted and Colton's this and, and Jason's that and, and Amy and Roy and Scott and Heidi and the list goes on and on. Tiffany, all these amazing people, Jack and Nancy, like Colton and, and Pokey and Cassie and Jenna and on and on and on and on. Like it would be, my prayer is that, that we would be a people who don't put on like a false front, but that when people encounter our church, they would say, those people are just crazy about the cross. They just boast in the cross. They don't move on from the cross because they don't move on from the gospel. That we'd be people who boast in the grace of God for us because it never gets old. We'd be people who boast in grace alone. Like, that we'd be people who like take on the posture of like, Kind of like Paul, like, I really don't deserve this. I'm really messed up. I'm really broken. I'm really disgusting inside. I've made really poor choices. I've hurt myself. I've hurt the people around me. I've fallen short of the glory of God. I've rejected him. I've sinned against him. Like, but this news of the cross that he still loves me and was glad to die for me, this is the most amazing thing in the world. That we be people who tastes the sweetness, like Isaiah says, but he, Jesus, 
was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and by his wounds we're healed. Healing is available to you, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or you haven't, every day, by grace alone. Let's stand and pray together. God, you're the best gift giver ever. Um, I have so much to learn about what it means to be um, selfless and sacrificially generous in my giving in every area of my life to be more of a benefit to the people around me. And when I look at you, I go, like you, <laughs> what did you get out of my relationship with you? Like I provide nothing. You shower me with grace. I pray for all of us, Father, that we wouldn't, um, we wouldn't sit in the place of feeling guilty for the things that we find ourselves boasting in, but we'd feel inspired by your Holy Spirit to boast in the radical reality that you have grace for us. Like that we would be people who actually are proud of the gift that we've received at the cross. Like get a load of this. In the same way like on Christmas morning when I was a kid, I wanted to show off my toys to all my friends. Like look at what I got. Like I pray that we would be not pushy, arrogant, judgmental people. But we'd be just people who are like, this is flipping awesome. This is a better gift than I could have ever imagined. And I pray, Lord, that we would enjoy you together in deep, profound ways and that your Holy Spirit would transform our desires. So I pray now for freedom for every single heart in the room, every single person. There wouldn't be a spirit of condemnation in this room, but there would be a spirit of freedom. I pray that, that, that each person in this room would open the free gift that's been given to them, maybe for the millionth time of your grace and your mercy, and they'd actually like play with the toy. Not just look at it, but engage with it and play with it and, and, and experience more and more of your un, unending love for us. I love you, God. I'm so grateful for your grace. And I pray that in this moment now, we, your spirit would move in us to receive more of your love and to offer praise to you because you're worthy. I love you, King Jesus. In your holy name I pray, amen.